doing today? You know, um, it's really troubling when our associate pastor admits that he has a hard heart. It's troubling. I, uh, I think we should pray extra hard for him um, so that the Lord will just bless him and help his heart grow and stay big. But I am a part of the don't do it till after Thanksgiving crowd. Sorry, folks. Sorry. <laughs> so, hey, don't hold that against me. How are y'all feeling all right today? You feeling good? Good worship, right? Come on, give that team a hand. I, I'm sorry I had to bail. Um, I had to leave my antiques because one of my antiques quit working. And so we'll get that figured out. But uh, yeah, but I, I, you know, Airsoft, I like to sit down over here and just worship the Lord with, with everyone. And um, just an awesome set. Pastor Trent and I have been... Um, going through the parables of Jesus, and I'll be honest with you today, I'm a little sad in this regard. I have personally really enjoyed this particular series. I mean, I've just enjoyed it, and I've heard a lot of feedback from, from uh, you guys that so many of you have really enjoyed this particular series on the parables, and believe it or not, today is the last one. I mean, I get to, I get to swing at it one more time and, uh, and talk about uh, another parable, uh, it, we're, we're, not, um, we're not through with all of the parables. Obviously, um, the teaching of Jesus, uh, he taught a lot in parables, and there are more parables uh, to cover, but we are going to shift gears and uh, start preparing ourselves for Christmas, and I'm really looking forward to um, the Christmas series. This week, I spent uh, time again in the prayer room in, um, in Colorado Springs and was just sort of retreating in there uh, going through uh, the, to the end of the year and what I felt like the Lord was laying on my heart uh, for us to address uh, during the Christmas season. And I think you're really going to enjoy it. It's going to be a great series, uh, I believe the Lord laid on my heart, and, uh, and a great collaboration. We're going to have a, a big collaboration between myself and Pastor Trent and um, Pastor Cleveland and the worship team. And so uh, it's going to be very special. And so uh, we look forward to that. That'll begin the first Sunday of December. And so we do have one more Sunday in November. That's next Sunday. And, um, and we're going to have a good time then. But we'll, um, we'll, we're going to do a, a standalone sermon on, on that particular uh, Sunday, next Sunday. But let me, let me say this about the parables. And I want to emphasize this again. This is a point that, that um, I've tried to make uh, throughout this series. And I really appreciate uh, Pastor Trent and his teachings uh, has, has followed the same kind of, of guideline as far as how do we interpret parables and, and how do you do it properly? I mean, how do you take something that Jesus taught, uh, you know, 2,000 years ago to a particular culture, to a particular people? I mean, he had a particular audience that these parables were being taught to. Some of them were uh, directed toward the disciples. Many of them were directed toward his enemies. The, uh, those who were seeking to, to kill him. And, 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 so, and so you have this reality in the parables that when you interpret them, when you begin to examine them in your own life, you, you really need to examine the original context. What did that original audience hear? And if we can determine that, if we can determine what the original audience heard, then we can mine the, the central truth out of that parable and then apply that um, in, in a contemporary way. It, it doesn't mean that the parable isn't useful. It's that 
when you interpret, and, and really this is probably a good rule of thumb for any uh, biblical interpretation, is that you have to recognize that there was an original audience. And you have to understand what that original audience heard. And don't try to read something into it. That's called proof texting. You try to read something into it that, it, it, that it's not saying. And, and you can get into some danger. I mean, especially in ministry of pastors, there's a lot of ministries uh, that, that have struggled with this idea of, of proof texting where, where you literally take a verse, you pluck it out of its context, and you make it say something that, that it really isn't saying. So I really appreciate uh, around here, uh, through the years, uh, we, have, we have striven to, um, to not do that. To let, let's, let's take it for what it says. And today, uh, I want us to look at, a, it's a really a, a couple of parables on the same subject, packed in real tight. And, and let's look at this real quick. Matthew 13, verse 31 says, He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Now, I think that the parable of the mustard seed, and then, of course, backing that up with the parable of the yeast, Jesus is teaching a powerful kingdom truth to the disciples, but a powerful kingdom truth that you and I need to grasp in our own lives. In both of these instances, he compares the kingdom, his kingdom, to very small things that make a big difference. Matter of fact, the mustard seed is a very small seed. I have for years kept this little vial of mustard seed with me. And I don't know if you've ever seen one or not. And I don't think you can probably see this one. But there it is. Mustard seed. A very small seed. Jesus talking about that. Matter of fact, probably the smallest seed in their culture, in their day. And yet from this very small mustard seed, Jesus taught a truth that when it grows, it grows into a large plant. Matter of fact, this plant grows to an average of four feet, but can grow as much as 10 to 15 feet tall. From just that little bitty seed. And Jesus compared his kingdom to that seed. In the same breath, Jesus used yeast. And, and I'm, not a, I'm not a baker. We have some fantastic bakers in the church. But I will tell you this. I can Google. And... <laughs> And in my expertise Googling, I found out that yeast is used very sparingly. Matter of fact, and this is mind-blowing, typically it's one to two and a quarter teaspoons of yeast per pound. Am I close? Well, see, that's what Google does for you. It makes you brilliant. makes you brilliant. I'm a baker now. 
I'm also a candlestick maker, whatever, I don't know. But yet, just a small amount, just a small amount. Matter of fact, Jesus even, even expands that when he, when he says 60 pounds of dough. 60 pounds of flour. And, and you take just a very small amount of yeast and you begin to work that yeast into that flour and it causes it to rise. Doesn't take a lot. Has anybody ever used too much yeast? Oh, I heard a yes out there. One willing person out there. One willing person. It's amazing to me that it only takes a small amount of yeast to affect the growing size of the dough. The point here for us is very clear. Jesus is teaching the disciples that the kingdom he is a part of may have come from a very humbling beginning. Matter of fact, when you think about the first century people who were heralding the idea of a coming Messiah, they were saying that he would be a king and that, that, that he would be over the kingdom of Israel and that he would ride in as a powerful military force and he would crush the enemies of Israel and restore Israel to the prominent na- nation that they once were. But Jesus, the Messiah... And one of the main reasons why they rejected him, although he fulfilled all of their prophecies, although he performed all of the miracles that they said the Messiah would do, they were so foreign to the idea that the Messiah would not be this mighty conquering king who would restore the nation of Israel to its prominence in the world. They were foreign in the idea that, that the Messiah in their mind would be, would be one who would even overthrow the Roman Empire. But yet Jesus, he was just born into a common family. Jesus was not born in a royal palace. He was born in a manger among animals. Not even room for the Messiah to be born in an inn. Jesus would be an exile for the first little bit of his life as his family fled to Egypt, then to return, but not to return to the place of prominence, not to return to the city of Jerusalem where where he would be raised among the royalty of their society. No, Jesus was scurried off to Nazareth, a lowly lowly community. Matter of fact, in a lot of ways, a despised community. Maybe in an old-fashioned way of saying it, he was on the wrong side of the tracks. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth, they said. The Messiah did. And yet, they rejected him Because it was so lowly. Matter of fact, it was so lowly that Jesus didn't even hobnob with the rich and the famous. He's the Messiah. You would think that he would be in banquet halls with governors and princes, but no. Their condemnation of Jesus, so lowly, 
their condemnation of Jesus. He fellowships with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes. Jesus is looking at the disciples in this parable and he was saying, all of this may seem low. Everything you see about me may seem like it's well below what it should be. But keep in mind, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast. It doesn't take a whole lot to make something spectacular. I think about Jesus coming. He didn't come conquering outward forces, but rather Jesus came and worked on the internal man. It blew their mind. Is it easier for me to say, your sins be forgiven, or is it easier for me to say, be healed? Which is it? Oh, they were indignant that they said that this man claims to have the power to forgive sin, but in Jesus' estimation, to forgive sin and to heal were the same thing. And it's that yeast working in that dough that you don't really see. But yet a work is going on. See, this is why they couldn't fathom the prostitutes coming in and sitting at his feet and weeping. And he, he forgives them and they, they leave from that place completely changed. And they're, they're folding their arms saying, that looks like the prostitute to me. They don't see the yeast of God's word working in the heart of that person. Jesus is like, don't mistake it. Don't mistake the kingdom of God for being some showy, flashy. Keep in mind that the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. Matter of fact, the kingdom of God does great things with small things. I think as well that Jesus didn't recruit an army. Have you noticed that? Did you notice that in, in the Gospels that Jesus didn't recruit an army? Have you, have, you, have you ever thought to yourself that he as the Messiah came in and, and didn't choose a hundred or... 500 or a thousand or even the 5,000 men that were fed on the hillsides, not counting women and children, that, that when it all really boiled down to it, Jesus picked 12. And one of those 12 became a devil, but he turned the rest of the world upside down with the other 11. And it was this small little band. Think about it for a second. The, 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 the church is being born. The Jesus has ascended to the Father. This powerful anointing from heaven is going to fall. There's something amazing going to happen. And there was about 120. There was about 120. That on this great day, at the Feast of Pentecost, that it wasn't the 5,000 or the 25,000. It wasn't even 500. 
it was just 120. Followed now again by 12 because they had picked someone to take Judas' place. So 12 apostles, about 108 followers. And this is what Jesus used to birth the church. To birth this mass that can't even really be fathomed. Jesus said, don't get discouraged. My kingdom is like a mustard seed. First Corinthians one twenty seven, very interesting. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world, the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. One of the greatest mysteries of the kingdom of God working in us is he doesn't need our ability. He needs our availability. He doesn't need our strength. He needs our willingness. He takes foolish things and shames wise things. He takes weak things and shames the strong. And kingdom of heaven might not look like much, But it's the most powerful thing on the face of the planet. I love the story of Israel conquering the promised land in the midst of their concern about how they would defeat the enemies, the armies, the walled cities, all of these things that they would encounter. And, and then God says this in Exodus twenty three twenty eight, I will send the hornet ahead of you to drive the Hittites and the Canaanites and Hivites out of your way. Who cares about the giants when God says, I can take a hornet? Who cares about walled cities when God says, just walk, just walk? Why are we walking? Because God said, walking don't seem like much. We're just walking. Why are, we, why are we circling Jericho? Now they're hurling insults at us. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. We're going to conquer this mighty walled city by just walking in circles. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. See, that doesn't make military sense. It doesn't make military strategy sense, but it works because God is in charge. The tension of small things is what Paul discussed concerning his own life. And I mean, when we think about Paul, we, we have to really think about this guy that really did something amazing in the kingdom of God, right? 
But Paul was tormented by what he called a thorn in the flesh. And there's, there's all kind of theories of how you could read in the lines of what that thorn might have been. I will tell you this, that Paul did call the thorn a messenger from Satan. All right? Some people have said that maybe Paul had some type of physical ailment. That's why I also called it a thorn in my flesh. But, but, but then others would probably say, and, and probably for me, I, I think that, that I probably lean more toward his thoughts about the persecution that he promoted and was in charge of before he was converted. Specifically, specifically, the fact that when they stoned Stephen, which the Bible describes more than once of a, of a, of a man who was full of the Spirit and full of compassion, and when they stoned Stephen to death because he believed in Jesus, those who stoned Stephen laid their coats at the feet of Saul. And so Paul was there when Stephen was stoned. He presided over this martyrdom. And I can only imagine in my heart that if after his conversion, it would have been very difficult for him to forget what he had done. And he said, I... I have this abundant revelation. I have, I have this, this mighty thing taking place in my life. And I prayed for God to remove the thorn. I prayed for God to take away this messenger from Satan in 2 Corinthians twelve nine. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. It doesn't makes sense that a 4 to 15 foot tree can grow from just one of these my power is made perfect in weakness therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Because the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. God doesn't need me to be big. He just needs me to be in Him. God doesn't need me to do great things. He just wants me to be available for Him to do great things in me. And Paul said, if I can just accept my mustard seedness, if I can just accept my yeastness, it doesn't take a whole lot of me. And it doesn't take a whole lot of the kingdom of God. I close today with a statement. See, God has a way of taking and creating and 
and, 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 and he, he takes weak and he creates strong. And, and it goes against conventional wisdom to think that God creates strength out of our weaknesses. I mean, we strive so much to be good and to be, and to be perfect on our own. We, we, we clamor to feel like we've earned, to feel like we've, that we've, we've done something. We live our lives that way. Rewards-based. When I do really good, I get reward. When I do really bad, yeah, the reward's just taken away. And I think so many times we try to do kingdom things on our own. We wonder, why isn't this working? So really, my close today. I want to tell us today that, that you and I and our church, everything we, we want to see God do. I just really want to tell us today that we need to be the mustard seed. We need to be the yeast. Just embrace it. That there are areas of my life that are weak, but God can, it's just a little bit of the kingdom can make it strong. That there are areas of my life that really need fixed, but with just a little bit, with just a little bit of the kingdom working in me, I can, I can see God work it out. Let God use your smallness. Let God use your weakness for His glory. Just remember, it doesn't take a whole lot. Would you stand with me today? This week, if there's been any pulsating beat in my heart I started working on this parable on Monday sitting sitting there in, in a very prayerful environment I opened Bible to this passage because I had already decided in my heart a couple of weeks ago that if Pastor Trent didn't hop on this one that I would and so I already had it in in my mind that that was going to be the last one that I did unless he took it from me and he didn't. He told me that he was going to do Good Samaritan last week so when when I got to looking at this thing about the power of small things It really birds something in me that it reminded me of something, and uh, I've told this story, so please bear bear with me if if you know it by heart. 
But it was, it was a monumental moment in my life. Several years ago, we were invited. Dave and Karen are going to die. They're going to tell this story. But we were invited by them. They bought our family tickets to go to a uh, Michael W. Smith, Stephen Curtis Chapman worship event. They didn't call it a concert. They called it a worship event. We had experienced a lot of losses at the church during that time frame. We had some wins. Some of you are so gracious, you, you've, you've stayed with us through, <laughs> through some good times and some not so good times. And we had really been involved in a not so good time frame. I mean, there's, there's, there's nothing, I mean, if a pastor is, a, I feel like if a pastor has really got his heart for the church and stuff that, you know, you want your church to grow. And it's just, it gets, it gets very discouraging when your church goes the other direction. That you take the ebb and the rise and the fall of sometimes it's bigger and sometimes it's smaller. And I, I, I have a, a terrible habit of taking that kind of stuff personally. So I, I, I have to admit, I went into that event discouraged and it just discouraged me even more. Because as we, as we sat in here in this worship environment, all of these people, it was sold out. All of these people were pouring into the arena and the more people that poured into the arena, the smaller I felt. Like, why, why isn't my church growing? Why, why, are, why is our church losing people, not gaining people? Why, why, is, why are our, our seats empty? And they used to be more full. And more and more people, more and more people, more and more. It's just like, oh weighed so heavy on me that night I ultimately just sat down I mean they stood most of this this event and but I, I sat down now a little story on Dave and Karen is that they just showed up out of out of the blue they'd pretty much unchurched for over 20 years and for whatever reason they just decided to take a stab at that church on the corner right and they literally pulled up and just sat out there for the longest time trying to figure out do we really want to do this do we really want to do this and they ultimately decided they did and I think probably now looking back on it probably and I think that they would admit this that that some of the hesitation was if we do this we're probably going all in and they have they're on our pastoral team and uh, Karen's ordained through destiny with with me and so here we are at this event, and I'm, and I'm feeling low. I'm feeling low. And I'm sitting. And I say this to, to God because I, I talk to God very plain English. I said, God, I don't understand. I don't understand this. I don't understand it. I'm hurt. I don't, under, I don't understand the rejection. I don't, I don't understand why other churches are growing. And I mean, I'm just cycling through all of this in this. And I'm telling you, as, as clear in my spirit as it could possibly be, I heard the voice of God. Not an audible voice. In my spirit, I heard the voice of God 
And in that moment, these were the words. Are Dave and Karen enough? And I wanted to push back. I wanted to argue. You know, like, what? And before I could do that, I heard that in my spirit again. Are Dave and Karen enough? And it caused me to sit up and look down the row. And I saw Dave and Karen sitting there, and they both had their hands up in tears running down their face. And the third time that voice spoke and said, If Dave and Karen are the only fruit from this season that you'll ever see, is it enough? And I started weeping. And I started saying, it's enough. It's enough. There was a shift in my heart that night. You asked them. But we, we stopped in the foyer trying to get out of that concert. And I'm still bawling, crying, trying to tell them what I felt the Lord spoke to me. And that, and that night, I, I, I put away the, the calculator, the people calculator. I put it away. And I just figured, you know what? Whomever God brings, God brings. He's the Lord of the harvest. Whatever shifts that take place, whatever shifts there are, just have to embrace them because He's the Lord of the, of the storm. And I just have to be willing to embrace my mustard seedness. That right now, it might... It might look pretty weak, Paul. Does this, does this resonate with anyone in the room today? That we strive so hard to be something when all God is really asking us to be is just in Him. Just be in me. Just be in me. Don't try to be anything but just in me. And I'll confound the wise with foolish things. And I'll confound the weak with, or the, the strong with weak things. And I'll take lowly things. And I'll, and I'll turn the world upside down. Father, I thank you today for your word. And I ask that by your spirit and by your power and by your help that you would speak directly to every one of our hearts. I honestly believe that we try to take too much control. That if we would just learn to embrace that it's all in you and that your kingdom is like a mustard seed, it's like yeast. It doesn't take a whole lot of your kingdom to make powerful impacts. But, but we're in the way. We're in the way. We want to be strong. We want to be wise. When in fact you're asking us today to step down off the pedestal and just let you be you. Today I pray for every person in the sound of my voice that, that they would make a commitment today to just embrace the fact that the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. It doesn't take a whole lot, but it produces something awesome. And I'm asking you by your spirit that you would 
that you would help us, Lord, come to the revelation that, that Paul came to, that, that your strength is made perfect in our weakness. And when we are weak, then Christ is strong, and we just need to be in you. We just need to be in you. And I'm asking by the name of Jesus Christ that your work and your word and your power would, would be real and amazing in our lives as we see the kingdom of God grow from a mustard seed in our hearts, from a little bit of yeast in our spirit. I thank you, Lord, right now for doing this great work. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Uh, isn't God good? Isn't God good? I'm telling you, that's a word I want to take. That, that's, a, that's a word I want to take. That's one of those three-finger points.